Good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us in service today. We are very delighted. Uh, this is the English Lead Pastor uh, Search Committee. We're very delighted and very thankful that we have before us today as our guest preacher, Reverend Dr. Donald Gardner. Does anyone need Chinese translation? Because Pastor Don can give it later. I'll take that as no for now. Uh, Pastor Don comes to us from Texas. He's uh, just come back to stateside uh, recently from Shanghai. And, and prior to that, he's been all over Asia serving the Lord in different ministries and capacities. And, and we're also happy to have Mrs. Sue Gardner here with us. And, uh, well, let's have a nice VCBC welcome first. How about that? Thank you. There's a, there's a short biographic sketch in the bulletin. I, I leave that to you. Um, I, I will say one thing, and I know I've been asked to keep it brief, but it, it's, it's a very special remark that I thought that stuck to me when we asked one of the references uh, to let us know what Pastor Don was like. And this is what one person said. You get what you see. So with that, Pastor Don. Today is a very strange experience. I have one of those wonderful colds that absolutely destroys you. And so uh, without the help of this, I can't function at all. And so please forgive me if I turn around and blow my nose at some point. But I have even more important thing down here, and that's water to keep me going. But I promise you I will not do like I normally do in a Chinese church where you preach. You know, one of the things I've, I've learned... Uh, in our Chinese churches, one of the joys, if you get used to it, uh, you kind of get spoiled of being able to preach and be able to preach for as long as you want to. Um, and uh, I, most of the English congregations I've been to don't seem to enjoy that or appreciate it quite the same way. And so uh, I will try to control myself. But uh, my wife and I are very happy to be here uh, just to have opportunity to get to know these brothers and sisters. We'll... Um, uh, look today at scripture, uh, look at a book that everybody here probably already knows. You may have learned this story when you were a young child. It's the story of Jonah. Um, I know that my, when, when people would ask me about or say something about Jonah, uh, I always thought of it as a child's story. But um, as time went on, and, you know, you kind of go back and are trying to read different things in the Bible and try to read the, the, get the whole picture. I started really spending a little time looking at this. And Jonah actually is quite a challenging book. Um, and it challenges action. See, one of the things that, that God allowed me to do is to realize very early that I was not the greatest academician. But I am a very much a, a person who's into practical theology. So fortunately, God gave me an opportunity in, in Hong Kong to teach uh, in a school as well as Malaysia and Singapore uh, in the area of practical theology. And I really enjoy teaching with my coworkers, including Jeff Sharp, I will admit. At one, at one point, we were both at Hong Kong Seminary together. 
But I love to give them a hard time and remind them that if I was teaching practical theology, then that must mean they're teaching impractical theology. No, we won't go there. We won't talk about that either. Um, but uh, the book of Jonah, we're going to look at just a few scriptures from it and then talk about what we see. Um, one thing I want to encourage all of you to remember is that every day in your life, you are a living testimony. Uh, I am a living testimony. It's either good or bad, but it's there. And people are watching us whether we like it or not. We can't choose and say, today I'm going to go out and be a good testimony for Jesus. The fact is, people are always watching. And whatever we do, our actions impact them to conclude whether or not we are walking with God or not. When uh, I looked at your little bulletin, and I, I didn't read all the detail, but it said it made some comment about his goal is to see as he sees fit, I think was the term it used. That he is capitalized, that meaning God sees fit, not what I think. The point is, so often we focus our perspective on life and the way we treat others on how it's going to impact us. And truly, the Scripture challenges us to remember that that is not the important part of this. So let's look at Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. It says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. Uh, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. I'm just reminding you of the story. That's what this is all about. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 says, that Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord, his God, out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou hearest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas and the floods and encompassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. And the, Lord, uh, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it, preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, and slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The story we, we remember very, very clearly. Uh, but I would like for us to allow the story to talk to us. The testimony of Jonah. Now, we could use your testimony as a sermon here, but we're going to use Jonah's because his is in the book. And so Jonah's testimony at this point in chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, we see 
really his call. Now, I don't know how you feel about the call of God on your life, but I kind of envy Jonah because his call was so clear. He didn't have to guess the will of God. He didn't have to go and pray. I remember when I was in college, I had roommates. We would sit around and talk about the will of God. You know, we just thought it was a miracle, mystery thing out there. I wonder what the will of God is. We, it, we had it so hard to reach that we couldn't quite grab it. And so we thought, oh, if I could just understand the will of God for my life. You know, Jonah never had to guess. You know, it was just very clear. God said, go there. Nineveh is your target. Go do the job. So I really do envy him in that. It's just so clear. No way to go, go wrong. But what we look at and what we see from Jonah is a very unique response. Because his response was not to say, thanks, God, I appreciate that. It was, um, uh, no way. I'm not interested. I have another thing I want to do. I'm too busy today. Let's go elsewhere. So God said, go right. He said, I'm going left. And he took off, running from God. Um, I'm afraid sometimes we're the same way with our lives. We, we say we want to know the will of God, but once we know the will of God, and it's not what we want, then the will of me becomes more important than the will of God. And um, Jonah was struggling with that. But I, I remember... Traveling with a friend of mine in China, and we uh, we were he's a house church leader, and we were out taking a taxi, going a long distance, and we were it was it was uh, going to an area that I hadn't been to, but I knew we had a two hour ride to get where we were going. And I said, you know, I've never heard you share your testimony. I said, tell me about how you accepted Christ. Tell me about your family. Tell me how God's been working in your life. And um, he shared with me that, uh, that God had led him to his wife and, and just certain things. And he said, and then uh, about uh, four years ago, then I was, I was put in prison for my faith. And while I was in prison uh, there during the second year, um, our church uh, came to me and talked to me. He said, and I was, I was contacted about what they were thinking. And he said, by the time I had finished my second year in prison, I had been selected by our church to be the leader of our church. Well, now, he is a, a house church network leader of a church that had about 3 million people in it. So his church was a little larger than yours. And um, so to be a pastor of that kind of a group would be pretty challenging, huh? And um, I kept listening, and, I, and then he kept talking about just how God had worked. And, and then when he got released from prison the next year that he had been out and gone, been free to go out and work. But he said, of course, the first thing I had to do was get back into evangelism and telling people about Christ and encouraging the church, which are the very things that had gotten him in prison in the first place. But somewhere in the middle of his sentences, it began to strike me. Where do most churches go to find their pastor? I don't know of very many churches in North America that go to the prison. And try to seek out their pastor. Can you imagine going to the prison? Like, Do you have any pastors in here we could have, please? That's not our, our number one target. So I went back to him on that one. And I said, you know, help me to understand a little bit. You're saying that in the middle of the time you were in prison was when they selected you to be the head of this. And he said, yes. And then he said, you have to understand. In China, faith is not cheap. 
there is a concern that we are willing to suffer, to be persecuted, even to the point of death, if that's what it requires. And they need some kind of proof that people are like that. And he said, so it's, it's, very, it's really not unusual for us to find our leadership finding ourselves in prison again. And he said, right now I'm on the blacklist again, and they've been looking for me for about the last six months. And he said, if they catch me, I'll end up back in prison again. Sitting with that kind of an individual really humbles you. Because um, they understand the cost of discipleship at a level that I did not understand. But this was a man that had found the call of God on his life, and he was willing to go anywhere and do whatever it took to serve the Lord. And you know, unfortunately for most of us, we have to recognize the Scripture actually is quite challenging at that point, because it does not say following Jesus is easy. Indeed, it says in Scripture that we will suffer for our faith if we are willing to follow Him. So when you say, I want to be a Christian, now you're a pretty brave soul if you're serious. So the call of God was put on Jonah. It was clear. He was already a chosen one to serve. He got the clarity, but he was not willing to pay the price. He struggled with that. Another person that I look in Scripture that reminds me of the call. You remember Esther? You know, I'm one of those, I'm Lei Ping Dong, you know, male-female equality people. So not just men are important, women are important too. Esther was also one of my, my heroines in life, one of the heroes of my life. Because I look at a woman that went through a lot of struggles. But in chapter 4, as you read about her, there's a certain point where she goes before the king. And she knows she does not have the official chop, you know, to say she can go before the king. And she knows it's risky because technically he has a right to kill her if he does not have that permission. But she says, if I perish, I perish. But I've got to do this because it's right and because it's for the people of God. I must do what the people of God need. I must go forward and try to save my people. And I will risk my life for this. Um, I hope you're that so bold with your lives equally. And so the call of God on Jonah, great stuff, wonderful, exciting that he, he had that call. He had that commitment. My friend in China had that call. Esther had that call. Chapter 2, you know, chapter 1, though, well, let's, let's finish through, look at chapter 1 real quickly. Chapter 1 is fun because we see him, of course, dealing with this big typhoon that comes along. He's in the boat, and, you know, the typhoon comes, and everybody in the boat is, is worried, and they're all praying to their gods. That's with a small g, not the God, but God's, trying to find out what they can do. And gradually, while they're in the boat, they begin to realize that there's some guy downstairs sleeping. And then they discover that he's the one that has the major sin. And it's interesting in the Scripture how gradually they begin to start saying, you know, he's telling us the only way we can save ourselves is to get him out of the boat, to throw him out of the boat. And they said, we don't want to kill somebody. We don't want to do that. But they began to realize the only choice they have is to throw him into the water. I think one of the things we need to realize is you do not sin privately. When we choose not to follow the will of God, 
when we allow ourselves to allow our wishes and our dreams and our goals to take precedence and power over what God wants for us, um, that sin does impact the lives of others. There are no private sins in that sense. What he was dealing with was a desire for himself to be able to go where he wanted to. He wanted to go to the left. He didn't want to go to the right. Brethren, we've got to realize when we don't open our mouths and tell others about Christ, that's not a private matter. That can impact the lives of millions. You know, Billy Graham, when he preached, he's a, he's a, a preacher who has impacted the lives of millions and millions of people. But the reason that he's done it is because somebody somewhere in history took the time to tell him about Jesus. We all have to have a starting point, and we're not living in isolation. We are a community. Sometimes we're a healthy community. Sometimes we're an unhealthy community. Sometimes we have good days. Sometimes we have bad days. But we're still community, and we need to love and care for each other. And we need to admit we're all sinners. But when you see me sin, hey, don't look at me and laugh and say, well, Gardner, you're sinning again. Help me with it. Teach me. Help me to learn, and I have the same responsibility to you. So when we look at this, it's just a fascinating story because they're in that ship, and he's saying, okay, I know the sin is on my head. I'm the guy that's the bad guy, so just get rid of me. And finally they give up. They say there's no choice. So they throw him in the water. But it's interesting, as they're throwing him in the water, they're all now switching over and praying to his God because they're beginning to realize his God must be the real God. There are a lot of gods, but he's saying, whoa, maybe this is really the right one. And especially when the water went, and the storm stopped. But in, uh, as we look through chapter 1, it goes on down. And finally, we, we see the, the thing that's the most uh, fun for everybody is they say, you know, God prepared a great fish to swallow up. Jonah and save him. Now, how many in this room have had experience inside of a fish's belly? Please raise your hand. One. Okay, brother, I got that. I see that hand. No, I'm the same way. I've had that experience, and that wasn't a real fish. But the first time I went to Hong Kong was to, for a long-term service, was in 1975. And um, when I went there to serve, before I went, I had many of my friends that thought I was crazy. Why would you go halfway around the world when you can stay here? They, didn't, they couldn't understand why I would do that. Well, I'm not sure I knew why except the fact that God called me to go. But I, I really wanted that experience in my life. And my expectation was I would go to Hong Kong. I would spend two years. I would see things I'd never seen before and then, remain, then return to Texas and wait for Jesus to come. And we all know Texas is the first stop Jesus is going to go to when he comes back. My theology has a few problems in it, I'll admit that. And, um, but I went ahead and I went to, to Hong Kong at that point. But it took me not just three days in a fish's belly, it took me about a month of trying to, to wrestle with God. In this story, though, of Jonah, it took him three days of wrestling with God to humble himself and to work through his own sins and to confess his sins and finally, in chapter 2, we see at the end of chapter 2, it says, The Lord spoke unto the fish, and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. So he wrestled with God, and God said, Okay, 
I'll give you a second try. One of the neat stories and one of the neat realities about God is he's a God of second chances. Folks, I don't know about you and your spiritual walk. I'll talk about mine. If God was not a God of second chances, I would be in real trouble. In fact, if God was not a God of 50th chances and 60th chances, I'd be in trouble. Because I make mistakes only every day. And uh, I look at, at his testimony, and I'm very, very encouraged because I see someone who was given a second chance. And then, of course, we know that he went on to Nineveh finally in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, he went to Nineveh, went there to preach, and he, went, he did such a great job. And he was so excited about being there that you can see in chapter 3, verse 4, his preaching style. His preaching style in chapter 3, verse 4 is basically... Forty days later, God's going to get you, and I'm glad. Thank you. Goodbye. Now, Billy Graham's preaching style that I mentioned a few minutes ago usually is more along the line of God loves you. He wants to build a relationship with you. He wants to care for you and give you a new meaning. He's very soft and touchy-feely. Uh, Jonah was not touchy-feely. Jonah didn't have a real deep burden for those people to repent. He didn't really care whether or not they came to God. And so he went in and he said, okay, you give me a second chance. I'll go do what you want me to do, but I don't like it. And I really hope that whatever I say won't be influential on these people's lives in a positive way. But you know, one of the fun things in chapter 3, if you look on down to about verse 9, the Scripture says that the king and the people in that environment heard this little strange sermon from Jonah telling them that 40 days later God was going to punish them. And they said, who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger? See, the point is, his sermon wasn't even clear enough to say, if you'll repent, Jesus will accept you. No, no, no. His sermon was, God's going to get you and I'm glad. Goodbye. So they had to guess. They're having a gift. Shades of dog. You know, maybe we got hope. Maybe there's a little bit of hope. They don't know. Nothing's clear. And yet in the midst of all that confusion, in the midst of all that confusion, God worked. And then it says, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had uh, had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. God wants to see repentance. God wants to help us. He doesn't want to see us having problems and struggles. He wants us to be effective with our lives. He wants us to see it. Wants to see a unified body with focus, going forth serving Him. It's real easy to get off on our own issues. It's real easy to become focused on what makes us comfortable or allow outside issues to bother us and distract us from our purpose. Brethren, we were created for purpose. God wants to use us and allow us to serve Him. And it's a strange thing. To the rest of the world, Christians are nuts because our goal is to become a servant. Most people think, you know, you want to become a servant. That's a strange idea. We want to hire a servant. We don't want to be one. But, the, but God has a different view of it. And even he called Jesus to come and to be a servant as he came for us. Several years ago, 
talking about the word obedience. See, we see obedience in chapter 3 when, when Jonah went. He did do what he's supposed to do. He went and preached. It was bad preaching, but he did it. For sure, it was not Billy Graham style. But he went in and he preached. But several years ago, I was in China with a group of doing some house church training. Very interesting group of people. But we had one lady that came, and I can remember she, we had a group of about 16 people. And we had hoped originally that we were going to be able to get back with them and meet again within about three weeks. And so I gave them some homework assignments. And, and I said, you know, okay, the goal for you is each week to witness to five people in a clear way that they would have a chance to know who Jesus is. And we had worked through how you share your testimony and how you talk with people uh, about Christ. Well, that was a great idea, except that it was about two months before we got back because we were very, very busy. And we got back, and this lady, you know, as we went in the room, I remembered her from the last time we were there, and it was the same people that had been there the first time. And there was one girl that she was probably 24, was from the university, very well-spoken, very smart, uh, attractive, all of those kinds of things. And I thought in my mind, boy, I bet you she's really done some great work. So we went around and we, people were sharing what had happened since the last time we had met. We got to her and she had some of the greatest excuses I've ever heard for why she hadn't been sharing and why she had not been, she, how busy she had been. And how, uh, how life had just been uh, very difficult. She'd been moving and just different issues. Sitting right next to her was this little lady that was really not very attractive. Uh, communicated in a way that was, she had a little stutter and, and just didn't communicate very well. And I thought, oh boy, well, if she's having that problem, this will be interesting. Moved to the next lady. The next lady apologized. And she said, well... She said, you know, it's, it's been a, a difficult time, and I thought, yep, here it comes again. And she said, but, you know, still, I guess uh, we should still be happy, I guess, to a certain degree. Because I've had 16 people made decisions for Jesus in the last two months. And I thought, 16 people made decisions. We have 16 in the room, and you have 16 that have, you've been able to lead to Jesus. And she said, yeah, we've started a Bible study group with them. And I thought, God, forgive me. I was looking at the outside and making or having expectations of who was more impactful for the kingdom. The outside didn't matter. That lady had a burden and she said, I'm going to be used. God has called me to learn and to teach and to share and I'm going to do it. She did not have the skills, did not have the, the presentational um, attitude that would make most people attractive, but she led people to Jesus because she, she believed that people needed Jesus. She was called and she obeyed. In chapter 4 of Jonah, we see some other interesting things within his testimony. Jonah, chapter 4, we see what we, I guess normally we call him the pouting prophet. You know, um, he just didn't, didn't quite get it some of the time. And in chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, we can see his anger. 
Now, you have to remember who we're dealing with. The people of Israel were people who had been used and abused by people of other cultures. They had been treated as slaves and servants for other cultures. And basically, they wanted to see their own people cared for. They didn't really care about the other people from other locations. And so when he was told to go to Nineveh, he didn't have a burden for Nineveh. That wasn't where he wanted to go. He knew his will for his life. Didn't know God's will, but he knew his will. And once he knew God's will, he was very unhappy because God's will was not his will. But he went ahead and he went where he was supposed to go. And so he went to preach. He went to Nineveh and there was repentance and there was a change in the lives of the people. But in chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, he sits back and he says, You know, God, just let me die. I don't want to go back to my tongbao, my, my brethren, my, my local people. I don't want any part of it. Because if I have to go back home, they're going to criticize me. They're going to laugh at me. They're going to question why I care about these other people. You know, for me, I had an interesting situation. Many years ago, I moved to Hong Kong. And I was asking my students at Hong Kong Baptist University, I said, Do any of you know what prejudice is? And of course, oh, sure, sure, we're not prejudiced. I said, do you have any prejudice in your life? My students said, no, 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 no. The old people have prejudice. We are very modern. You know, we don't do this. No prejudice here. And I said, okay, I'm good for you. I'm, you're surprising me, but good. I said, let me name a few countries and you tell me. Now, for those of you who know Chinese, you've got this pretty quickly. I said, okay. I said, Germany. They said, industrial. I said, France. They said, love. <clears throat> I said, America. And they said, beautiful. That one made me a little, yeah, may walk, you know, come on. Then finally, I said, Japan. Wow. No sound at all. They just sat there. And in the back of the room, I had one student that said, three years, eight months. World War II, how long Hong Kong was occupied. Never forget, that mentality was still there. Their mother and father had been very successful in planting that within them. You know, but one thing you and I have for a challenge is to remember, God loves who? Everybody. God loved Nineveh. God loves Everybody. Jesus came for us all. When we, when we immigrate to heaven, we may all have purple skin. What are we going to do? Yeah. And, and maybe your hair won't be black, you know. Maybe I'll have hair, you know, that kind of stuff. But the point being, we've, we've got to realize that, that God's values and our values sometimes have conflict. And my students didn't know they had any prejudice. But finally, students began to say, well, maybe I do. Maybe I do. That was the problem for him. He was concerned about his own self, his comforts, his people, his reputation. Everything was wrapped up in me, 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 me. So in chapter 4, we see him saying, I don't even, I don't even want to stay alive. And finally, God looks at him and he says, you know, you are my called individual. I chose you to serve me, but you really, really are a challenge. And so in chapter 4 there, he begins to say, okay, I'm going to try one more time to give you a little teaching. So, you know, that day that the weather was really, really hot. It was, now, you know, I've been living in Hong Kong. 
So I, in Hong Kong and in China and in Taiwan and those places, we, when summer hits, we know it's summer. When you guys see summer here, I would call that winter almost probably. Um, because we're so, when we, you know, when it's, it's hot over there, we know it's hot. And I've pictured this many times where basically Jonah would go up to the top of uh, one of the mountains, maybe Fengal San or someplace, one of the famous places in Hong Kong, top of the mountain, looking down over the city, sitting there and just looking and saying, wow, this whole place now is in God's hands and it's my fault. Instead of saying, Praise God. You know, 120,000 people in that city. For them, that was the largest city in the world at that time. That was a big city. And he had done his job. He should have been dancing. But instead, he sat down and God had prepared a little plant to grow up beside him. They didn't have air conditioners then. So he had this little plant grow up. He sat down there so, you know, he didn't have to get quite as uh, sunburned and hot. You know, he's, he's like China, Hong Kong girls, you know, they're always worried about pahaya, you know, the, the hot, you know, they, they don't like, they don't like that getting dark skin. And so he was the same way. He didn't want that dark skin. So he was trying to sit down under the plant. But as he was sitting under the plant, God had also prepared a worm. And the worm ate the plant and the plant fell over and he turned to God and he said, are you kidding me? You know, he's saying, God, come on. I did what you told me to do. I didn't want to do it, but I did it. Can't you just let me rest? See, the problem is, if you ask that question correctly, can't you let me rest? See, everything was about him. All of it was about him. And God said, you're so messed up. Your value system is so confused. This whole story is about value system and about relationships with God. And he says, you you know, there are 120,000 people that are now in my hand that wouldn't be there if you hadn't done this job. You should be the world's most joyful minister. Instead, all you're doing is sitting around worrying about yourself. And whether or not your reputation has been hurt. Attitude for how we serve God is a choice. He had a choice to be optimistic, but he chose to be negative. God really does care about people more than he cares about our comforts. My prayer is that we'll remember why we're here. And that's to be his servant. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for calling us, for giving us opportunity to serve you, for being able to watch you work in our lives. And I would pray, Father, even this day, that we would remember we are not here for our own comforts or for even for our own will to be done, but we're here to know your will and to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.